Welcome listeners. This is Jonathan Yamasaki, founder and co-host of Go Entrepreneur Yourself. And this is Richard Ceballos, your earnest yet silly co-host all the way from the Silicon Valley, San Francisco area. We are a podcast where we bring you local entrepreneurs and leaders from around the world to share their story about adversity, triumph, and their business. The name of this podcast speaks for itself. We empower you with digestible, inspiring, and valuable content on starting your own business. Also, we like to dissect stories of success and reveal some of the raw truths and hardships of creating and maintaining your business. Today, we bring you an amazing entrepreneur and advisor for early stage startups, Aaron Chavez. So me and Aaron Chavez kind of go way back. We've knew each other since high school. We, because I've seen him going through like the ASU Barrett's Honors College, then now working at Barclays and even founding his own company in his young life. He's the same age as I am. He's accomplished a lot. Most recently, he continues to work as a CFO for two companies uh, where he actually helped co-found one with uh, Israel Hernandez called Dinerazo. And this company, you'll hear more about it in future episodes. So Aaron, thank you for coming on to the show. Of course, happy to be here. Happy to help out. Today, we're going to be focusing on the development of Argent strategies. And Aaron's going to give us some tips on business planning, financial strategy, and preparing the best pitch. But before we go into that, Aaron, I wanted to run a segment we like to call the Fast Five. So this gives us and the audience a better sense of who you are on a personal level. So what do you say? You up for the challenge? Sure, let's do it. (laughs) Okay, so my first question for you is, what is one of your favorite shows on Netflix or some other streaming service? Doesn't have to be Netflix. Uh, Recently, it's an older show, but I really love the show The Blacklist. I love the the conversation, the movement, the 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 suave, the gunfire. You know, it's got a little bit of everything, and including some good old cheesy drama. So why not? Okay. So in the year two thousand one hundred in the USA, do you think we'll be using cryptocurrency or paper slash coin money? I think it'll in twenty one hundred. I have to imagine there's going to be a whole lot going out there because the real question for me is: Is crypto going to be around when quantum's around? Right. So I think that there will be using some form of electronic currency, but I don't know what that really looks like. And I also think there's going to be, you know, a massive government kind of infusion into it because you can only be out of the game for so long before they're going to want a piece of the pie and just try and regulate and engage and Mm -hmm. do whatever government things they can. Aaron, would you mind telling us in the audience what quantum is for those who haven't heard about it? Just out of curiosity. So, so quantum is basically the next stage of computing. So rather than binary of ones and zeros, the easiest analogy that I've heard is imagine a coin that's spinning constantly. So it's a one and a zero at the same time. And you could imagine that's a lot more powerful and you can do a lot more things in a lot more efficient ways. So there's much to be done. We're still in early days, but it's like a VR 10 years ago. You know, you don't care, you don't care. And then suddenly you go, hey, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden it's a whole new world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. On the podcast, we like to educate everyone if we're not familiar of with course. the term. <laughs> so thank you for that. So the next question I'm going to ask you is pretty serious. How do you like your mineral mineral water? Do you like it carbonated or non-carbonated? <laughs> oh, God. Um, definitely. It depends on the mood. If I'm feeling spicy, we grab a carbonated. We grab a, a Perrier <laughs> or, or, or something basic from Whole Foods. But if we're living our best life, we go uh, 
uh, from the tap, shall we say. It's very exclusive. Yeah. So are you telling me that Latinos aren't always spicy? Because I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you Latinos used to drink from the hose. And I can remember doing that when I was a kid as well. And that had its own spiciness to it, I'm sure. So let's take, let's take the audience back to the old days. <laughs> so my next question is, who is one artist or musician that you're a huge fan of right now? Uh, it's funny whenever the Spotify playlist that, you know, it comes in review every single year, I'm always in the top two, 3% of Eminem. Oh, I love okay. his music. I love the intensity. I love the passion. I've been a fan, you know, since I can remember music. So that's one of those stables, you know, like the people of him, J Cole, you know, very yes. lyrically inclined people. I love the, the, the storytelling narrative of it all. Which He's writing a letter. Basically. You're, you're yep. writing a letter right now. Dear Slim. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love you so much. Hey, Eight Miles back on Netflix. So maybe you should check that out when you have hey, some who doesn't time. love Rabbit? Why not? Why not? <laughs> That's a classic. So my last question is, what is one skill you've tried to learn, but you're not so good at? Oh, God. Um, it's one of those things. It's uh, do what you know, right? So for me, it's always been uh, a, a lot of that. But you know what? I am not a good cook. I am a passable cook, meaning you won't you won't regret eating it, but you will wish that we probably grabbed a bite out. I think that's probably <laughs> the, the, the fairest way to say that. <laughs> so what's a go-to meal then that you'll usually cook that's easy and safe for your uh, there's a, skills? <laughs> I, I love TikTok and there was a great video that popped up and I felt attacked by it, which was great. It was, if a, if a guy says he cooks, he means chicken and rice. Just so oh you know. Oh my gosh. And, I, and wow. I'm like... And I'm like eating a bowl of it. It's got like soy sauce on it. So I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, a, thank it's you. It's a staple. Of course. Of yes, course. it is. It is. And like, even, even my partner does that sometimes. So I'm just like, yes, she knows, she knows what's up. <laughs> yeah. It's got the hookup, man. Easy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Aaron. That, that was the fast five, everybody. We're going to move on now to uh, Arjun's strategies. So Aaron, walk us through what inspired you to start your own business. So for, for me, my, my background's in investment banking. And kind of before that, I was a student at Arizona State. So I went to school at Arizona State. I studied finance. I ended up getting, you know, applying to investment banks, got an internship when I was a sophomore, converted that and moved the way forward and landed in New York City, right? So I was doing business. I was learning a ton. I was doing finance. I was networking a lot, you know, with a lot of people just kind of getting in the flow of it. And as much as I liked that job, it felt like I was doing a very lot for a very small portion of the population. And it felt like there was so much more that I could do, not in the sense of, you know, just the millennial, I want to have an impact, but very mm -hmm. much a, no, no, no. I want to just do more work. I want to feel more inspired by my work. So for me, it was, what can I do? Who can I serve? What interests me? And how do I kind of bring that into one? So I've built a company around what I wanted to do anyway. It just happens to, you know, pay taxes and be an LLC and, and do its own thing. Yeah. What was it that you wanted to do more of? I wanted to build more and, you know, I guess process less. So it was one of those I love, whether it's building people through mentorship, whether it's building companies through ideation, whether it's, you know, supporting entrepreneurs through investment, whatever it kind of might be. I love growth. I think it's one of, you know, the, the wonderful things that the humans can do is go out in the world and go, 
I wonder if, and, you know, action that and how beautiful is that that we get to do that. So for me, the ability to do more of it and engage more and have be more, you know, in dialogue with what's happening versus mm-hmm. just, you know, watching it happen was a huge interest for me. And for me, it was then a question of, okay, where, where's my lane? What am I going to do? And how am I going to provide value? You know, be a giver, not a taker, right? Which is kind of the, the key to, I think, what I've done with all this business. But it really was the goal in the beginning. And it turned out to be, you know, the key in the end, which is yeah. uh, a nice little parallel. Going about working in Argent Strategies, consulting, helping people build their business. How did you go about finding these people when you started off? Like, how did you, what comes to mind is like, who's this young cat coming from, you know, West coast, who's never started his own business. Now he wants to give me advice. Mm-hmm. How did you convince some like business owners? Hey, I got some of the key things to really help you start this company. Absolutely. It's one of those. And it's funny. I had a call. I was referred to somebody the other day and I had a call yesterday to, mm-hmm. to speak to somebody who wanted to get into the consulting space himself. And he was like, how do I do it? So, you know, this is part two. And really, I think it's a few things. One is you just got to show up. You know, that's that's half the battle. When I moved from New York to Miami, the only two people that I knew were my business partner at the time and his fiance. Everybody else, everywhere, every street, every community was a stranger. I knew Miami was growing. I knew things were happening, but it was, you know, ground zero. So for me, I started by, okay, well, step one is show up. So I'm going to start doing that in the easiest way that I know how. I'm going to Google networking events near me. And there was one literally across from my apartment. So I just showed up, nice. said, hey, was awkward for a bit. And eventually you get a drink in you or you bump into somebody, or you have a chat and a dialogue emerges. And you do that a hundred times and you see who's there. And suddenly you start seeing the same faces. And suddenly you start being a little bit of a part of the community versus just someone showing up to it. For me, in terms of the actual getting of the clients and the movement, it's it's funny. There are plenty of people that, you know, look at your age or look at your height or look at your weight or look at anything else and judge you. Mm-hmm. But an idea is bulletproof, right? Mm-hmm. And the wonderful thing is when you're at these networking events, when you're talking to people and you're setting up follow-up calls, the ability to provide value and the ability to provide an idea where someone goes, wow, I never thought about it like that for my business and actually give them something that's worth its weight in all the experience, all the credentials, all the effort before in the world. But it's about how often you do it, what you do and how you kind of kick it off in the beginning to show people that, you know, what you have is worthwhile. Right. And I think you touch on something really amazing where people don't notice and it's, it's part of networking too, is like, sometimes people get intimidated to talk to CEOs or like like big, big people that are executives for, from companies or startups. And sometimes people tell themselves no before they even go and attempt to talk to them. And how they tell themselves no is like, well, what do I have to offer? What value do I give? Well, the value that you have to offer is your idea, right? They're getting it's a fresh right between perspective. Your ears. As, <laughs> uh, as, our, as our mentor, Gary Trujillo would say, yeah. um, don't say no for them. Let yeah. them say no. And then convince them otherwise, right? So for, for me, it's just very much that giving, giving, giving. It's funny how much you keep pushing out the door, how much starts crawling in the window, right? But a lot of people, you know, don't see it that way. And I think that, you know, that simple act can just, I mean, it, I've proven that it's changed everything, right? It took me from one world into a completely other. Yeah, Aaron, I had a question for you. So I wanted to know, how did you gain the background and skills necessary to run your type of business? Because 
some of us may be starting from scratch and we have a vague idea, but we sort of defeat ourselves before we even begin, or we think we're entitled to have these skills or have these experiences. But why don't you just give us a little bit of a background on sure. how, you, how you did that? There's a, a, an old saying that I like that just says, do what you know, right? But the thing that they don't finish the sentence with is, but what you know can change, right? So as long as you know it, you can do it. You don't need the degree, the certification, the qualification, the case studies. You don't need anything as long as you actually know that it's true. So for me, it was one of those, I knew I was in finance. I knew I was in banking. I knew I was advising companies on how to raise money, how to talk to investors, how to think about financial projections, how to create a story, a positioning story. You know, where do you fit and what's your value and what's your, you know, wealth in the marketplace and your ability to kind of gain that momentum. So I knew I had, you know, the fundamentals. I could pitch, I could explain, I could coach, I could think. But then once I finished, you know, the, the 60 hour work week or 70 hour work week or whatever, you know, it might've been that week, it was time to read. It was time to watch YouTube videos and just pour it in volume and volume and volume of looking to understand, you know, it's a false assumption that you can, you know, guess your way to success. You do have to, you know, you'll fall into too many pitfalls likely to get there. So relying on, you know, it's, it's uh, there's something about university where, I heard a great thing where they were talking about the, the value of school. And they said, well, the value of school is not the education because you could just go to the library and read every book possible on the subject and you would know plenty of things. It's about the engagement, the act, the participation, the happen chance, the participation that can open up so much. So for me, it was getting in dialogue with, you know, after my work day with the actual work that I wanted to do and building mm -hmm. more of the foundation of it to then go utilize that later. Nice. And so, and a question came up as you're talking about that. Maybe tell us an example of someone that you worked with, uh, you consulted with that either is in the process of doing a pitch or is currently successful in a pitch um, or, or maybe a specific scenario when you help them understand their financials. And it was kind of like a, a aha moment for them. Like, oh my gosh, thank you. This like really helped me in understanding my business. I didn't know someone who wasn't from my business and you had the, uh, the answer. Yeah. So there was a, a business in the very beginning that I met called Busqueros. Now Busqueros is this Latin American and, you know, slightly us focused business that does personal development, coaching, job search, really trying to engage, employ and improve the situation for, you know, Latinos all over the world. And when I met the founder, his name's Rafael, brilliant guy, very focused, great track record. And he started telling me about his company. He told me about his company over the course of 30 pages, 40 pages, 50 pages of materials, telling me all the hundred things he was going to do. And they all sounded great. But I also knew the reality that mm. if you do all the things, you do no things. You mm. know what I mean? You have to have that focus. So in that simple initial dialogue, I, I helped him and we had a dialogue about what do you really offer? If you had to bet the company on one service, if you had to focus on one customer, if you had to engage in one path to success, what would that be? And we tinkered and we dialogued and we engaged and then I got hired and then I got involved and I started to learn more and the company started evolving. And now literally today, we got on the phone because we're looking at potentially raising some money via crowdfunding and the, the crowdfunding site came back to us with an initial valuation that had more than, that had two commas in it and not insignificant commas. And that is a company that I've been working with for 18 months, probably. Mm. 
and it's it, like that's a wonderful experience because it was one of those there was so much potential but it's one of those it's like a bomb right you just know it's just going to go everywhere and mm-hmm. through dialogue through a mutual partnership really not like an oversight but really a dialogue and, and a partnership there we're able to focus it down into something that now really provides value yeah and for those who maybe not looking at spreadsheets every day explain to us commas what do you mean by that like i know what that means but i don't know if everyone knows yeah yeah what two so commas uh, so in 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 finance it just depends on how how cute and funny you want to be but basically <laughs> when you're looking at the valuation of your company you know you're a couple hundred thousand so you've got one comma you're a couple million you've got two commas or if you're like um, good old mark cuban you have the the three comma shirt to imply the billion <laughs> the, the billionaire club so typically most startups are looking for or hunting on the hunt for the two commas and yeah. pushing for the third. Yes. Thank you for elaborating. Yeah. So now that we've heard about a little bit about how you've helped startups, we want to know specifically the role that your mentors or advisors have played in the growth of your business. Because I like that you talked about applying knowledge and going out there and being visible and just having a dialogue. I think that's a really key part of getting things going and really narrowing down what it is you want to do. But what role have your advisors and mentors played in the growth of your business? I think the the best thing that my advisors and mentors have done has shown me that it can be done, right? It's one of those when you see somebody that's done it and you see who they are and you meet them and you realize that it's uh, you're not so different, you know, you and they. And you can understand that, hey, this is achievable. This isn't some mystery, you know, that only 2% of the people in the world get to do. If you want it and you're hungry for it and you're willing to really work for it, you can get there. You can really, really get there. So for me, two of my big mentors were, were, a guy, were, were and are a guy named Gary Trujillo, another guy named Michael Trejo, both of whom, you know, have track records and histories that would take, you know, the rest of this interview to even begin to scratch the surface of. <laughs> but seeing those two people, and I met Michael before he's, you know, king of the world, I met him when, when he was an early college student, I believe, you know, in freshman or sophomore year. So to have that lockstep of seeing somebody I know, seeing somebody who I grew up with in different community organizations and different involvement, be out there and be engaging and growing in the world. Not only is it a great sense of motivation, but it's also a great sense of community of, hey, someone's doing it out there. Doesn't matter if we talk every day, doesn't matter if we do the same thing, but somebody's out there getting after and pursuing their dream. And that means that we can all do it too. So for me, it just became that, that beacon really more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. One of the questions I had on here was, what should you be looking for in a mentor or advisor? But you've answered that it's someone who has what you want or is sort of the light at the tunnel. It's tangible what they're doing and you can see yourself being there. So I think that's really key as a, as a takeaway. But what else would you tell us is a key ingredient to starting a beneficial partnership? Because sometimes we may have an idea, we may have someone in mind, but maybe hesitant about how much uh, we should connect with them or how much we should pursue having this advisor mentor partnership. So why don't you tell us what a key ingredient is? I think it's all about setting expectations, both for you and for them. And you also have to know what you want to get out of it. I, there's a number of people that I mentor. There's somebody that I've been mentoring for years and I get one text from him once a quarter where he goes, Hey, I'm having this problem at work. Can we get on the phone for 15 minutes? And I get on and I help him navigate it. And that's the end. There are other people that are companies that I more mentor who get on my calendar and I calendar and I help them where I can. And we kind of go from there. 
I think the, the big things that I think of when I think of mentorship are one access, because you want a mentor that actually wants to engage with you, you know, not mm-hmm. somebody that is just so far removed that you can't even have a real dialogue. You want to have frankness because you want to have somebody that you can really tell them like, hey, this is really tough or this is really amazing. It's the you don't want friends and mentors that you can only go to with bad news. You want people that you can go to with good news that will cheer you on as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's about finding a genuine, you know, someone who's really carrying your flag. And then three, I think about somebody who can give you the real advice. There's a lot of mentorship that's basically let's meet for coffee once a quarter and have a good time. But there's other mentors where it's, we're going to have two conversations. The, the second one, you're probably going to cry. The first one, you're probably going to reevaluate your life. So there's a mentor, right? Not necessarily saying it has to end in trauma at the end of every one, but it's like mm-hmm. someone that's really digging in, somebody that really cares, right? It's, a, it's amazing how far a little bit of caring, genuine caring will take you both as a, a mentor or a mentee. Yeah, I think that tough love is really essential and you have to feel challenged with these type of partnerships. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Aaron. So we're going to segue now into the process of your business by going through each step of of how you work with an entrepreneur in their journey. So the first one, I remember seeing on your website, I think it was business plan, right? Sure. So walk us through how does one construct a business plan? So the way that I think about a business plan and kind of a startup in general is when people think startup, they think growth and sales and investors and big shiny things and standing in front of with a microphone. And yes, yes, but there's also all the background, right? And the way that I like to position it for founders is you're not building a company, you're building a house because a house can't have, can't be missing rebar in the floor. It can't have cheap concrete for its foundation. It can't have a two by or a plywood for a support beam. All the pieces are dependent on one another in order to make sure that it actually works and functions from the smallest, who's going to do our bookkeeping to the largest, what's our core value proposition that we're actually going to provide to our customers? And why are people going to keep coming back to us day after day, purchase after purchase? So for me, it's one of those, anybody, anywhere can Google what goes into a business plan, whether it's your go-to-market, your financials, your executive summary, your team. But really the question that I look at is, are you looking at it like they're all disparate and just, you know, distinct items? Or are you looking at them like they're all, you know, a house of cards leaning on each other, strong Mm. with the right tension and the right force, but Mm. very weak if you start plucking one or two away? And the, the, the way that I always think about it and try to explain it is the worst part about doing something wrong with your company, specifically legal or bookkeeping or tax or something in those areas, mm-hmm. is you don't know until you start having to pay the price. There, It's retroactive. You find out later when the diligence session doesn't go well, when the mm-hmm. deal doesn't close, when the investor finds it weird the way you're categorizing things because they don't think you really understand your finances. And it's that kind of, we're going to build, we're going to grow, we're going to move fast and break things, which can work. But it also works if you move fast and break things with a 30-person deep legal team on your side, right? Mm. So, so good old Zuck has a few more advantages than the rest of us do. <laughs> right. But, 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 I, but I do think it's really about understanding that it's a holistic entity that's really dependent on itself. And by working through it, it's it, the, the best advice that I give founders when they come to like planning their business are... Mm. You ever see people that have like four, five, six, seven businesses they founded and people just go, man, how do you even do it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. It's only a mystery to you because they know. 
And the way they did it is they followed the same process. It could be one, three, five, seven, their steps. It could be two, six, nine, four, whatever order they want to go in. They're tackling the same things, customer, product market fit, customer, you know, product fit, problem solution fit, market size. And they're doing all the pieces that need to get done. They aren't fighting it. They're just working through it. And I think that's such a huge part mm. of just getting anything done, but especially the business plan. Yeah. And especially like sometimes, I mean, I haven't like really brought this up with any of my interviews, but sometimes entrepreneurs get in their own way. Like they 100%. get in there and I'm not speaking off myself, but like from what talk interviewing many entrepreneurs, it's, I guess you could say they're, they're better entrepreneuring, but not always good at managing. Yes. <laughs> and there's a distinction. And it's one of those, just because you built the company doesn't mean you should be managing it when it grows. One of the expectations that we set with our founders are, do you think there's a difference between a million dollar a year business and a hundred million dollar a year business? And they go, yeah. And I go, okay, well, you see how your financial projections, how in four years, your business goes from 1 million to a hundred million. You're the CEO today. Does that mean you're going to be the CEO tomorrow? Does that mean that's mm -hmm. the best interest for you? Does not being the CEO mean you have to give up your equity, Right. These are all small things, but to think early and go, you know what, am I going to be in my own business's way by taking shortcuts, by not planning for the future, by getting a yeah. little bit too much ego, whatever it might be. Because if right. you can do all the things all the way through, great, by all means. But if you can't, it's really important to know that you can't and find people that can and then reward them and incentivize and partner because why not? Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Aaron, I had a question for you. So I read cool. about this on the blog for the Argent Strategies website. And something that I wanted to ask is why do you think some businesses become lost in the details that distract rather than grow their business? Because when we talked about building a house, I was just imagining this imagery of folks just getting too caught up in the details and that slowing them down or maybe distracting them from what the growing that can actually happen. So why do you think that happens? I think it's easier to deal with processes than it is to deal with ideas. And the unfortunate part is the when people are talking with me and we're doing a dialogue and they're like, oh, this is so frustrating. Like, I wish I knew what my customer wanted and I wish I knew that. And I go, pause. That feeling right there. That is why entrepreneurs make money. That is the actual value that you're providing is doing the migraine work to get through to go, ah, this will work. I know this. So it's like just by doing that, it's, that's really difficult because it's vague. It involves conversations and writing and thinking and music and crying in the shower, whatever it is, it gets you through it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it, it, it's one of those, that's that effort. It's much easier to go, I'm going to interview 30 accountants and I'm going to work on my bookkeeping and I'm going to work on, I'm going to get my whole branding and marketing set up before I even know what my actual solution is going to look like. And it's not a bad thing because again, you need all these things, but what's more important, the plumbing or the state you're going to live in? I start with state and then I work my way downward. <laughs> mm. That's a great way to put it. I also wanted to uh, just talk a little bit about, you started touching on this, but talk a little more about a business's financial strategy. So when you're consulting and someone comes to you and says, hey, here's my strategy, here's our plan, our, our financial strategy, what are, you, what are you looking for at first when you're looking for things that are going to make a business successful or sustainable? I'm looking for a narrative that makes sense, right? I get handed financials all the time that are 100x growth in the first month and 30 times growth in the next three hours. And it just goes on and on and on. And they're a billion dollar company by noon, right? 
And it's like, that's fantastic. But unless you have the details, the plan, the industry research, the sequencing of your marketing, the launch of your products, the growth of your sales, the managing of your taxes, and the list goes on until all three of us are asleep. Unless you've, you know, taken the time to really think about those areas, you know, even the way I describe it is there's three levels of everything. There's the topic sentence, there's the chunk that you normally want to tell people, and then there's all the footnotes, <laughs> right? So it's one of those, when you're doing your model, you need to be in number two. Number three comes from you learning, from seeing the historicals, from progressing in your business and seeing what's going on. But to start at number, but if you're pitching me number one, which is the zero to a million dollars in six months, and then one to a hundred million, 12 months after that, you got to take it down one more step and, 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 and be welcome to the question of, how are you going to get all those customers? You know, you tell me your market size is a hundred billion, but I need you to get 10 million people on this platform for you to hit those, those revenue numbers. And I don't see in this financial model, how you're doing that. Right. I go right to basics of how many people are we getting in this month? How much are we making from them now month two? how many more people are we getting? And if we don't start there, it's kind of one of those, we don't start anywhere because your business is, you know, nobody remembers when Google started. Right. But at one point mm -hmm. Google had five accounts the 10 accounts. And it was looking at that month after month after month. That's where we need to, you know, that's where the games get won. Yeah. And what do you mean by they had 10 accounts, five accounts? So on, G on Gmail, right. As an example, right. Gmail uh -huh. obviously was incubated within Google itself, but right, anything, right. any startup, you know, you never remember the beginning, but that doesn't mean they weren't working in the beginning, right? All those right, founders right. were grinding every single day going, how do we get more users, more activity, more engagement, more searches on the site, better data analysis, all of those things. They're just, just screaming down the highway for it. And they're looking for these benchmarks of growth because they have a specific plan because they have the end in mind of we're mm. going to bring this value to this consumer base and make money in this way. And that's going to allow the system to be complete. Yeah, yeah. There's a question that kind of pops up because how much work should an entrepreneur have to put in, in to understand financials with their business and the future of their growth? Because I think sometimes, like you say, there's so many times that they say, oh, my business is going to 30x, 10x, whatever in this certain years, but they don't really understand the financials. How do you go about helping somebody like that? Or how would someone go about understanding their financials so that they, when they go to a consultant or when they're going to go get to the pitch, right? They sound more, uh, it's more sound and, and it makes sense what they're providing for customers. For sure. The, the exercise that we always do, you know, simpler, complex, depending on how the business is, is inputs and outputs. What's coming in? What's going out? How are you making money? And what does it cost to do it? Do you need offices? Do you need this? Do you need this? You know, start with your expense in mind first, right? What every revenue has a cost, right? Whether it's time or dollars, or you have to build the technology system, or you have to get on Squarespace or file your LLC, whatever it might be. So it's one of those, you have to start, you know, start where you can start and then allow it to kind of build and grow from there. Once they got that going, they understand their financials, they get a better grip of what the market's like and what they, their inputs and outputs, exactly what is going in, what is coming out. Let's talk a pitch now. What is it that they should be doing to prepare for a pitch and where do they go? Like, who are they going to search for to talk to? Because we have all different types of, of funding that's out there available for them. 
<laughs> sure. So where you can go is to Google. That's kind of the wonderful thing. The, the world of startups and investments and angels. I, I, again, today is the day of coincidence. I got today emailed a list of over 300 angels in a Google Doc that's available publicly for the world to have, right? And I can probably send that to you. That'd be great. But it's one of those things where the, there's no, you know, being ignorant today in any matter effectively is by choice, right? Because libraries are free and books are, are there. So it's yeah. one of those Googles the kind of the same way where it's like, you can Google, how do I raise startup money? And you're going to find 50 videos that show you all the different databases and resources and free this and, and signal that, which is a way the signal is a platform that allows you to connect with investors and Crunchbase is a way is a data set for startups that allows you to actually engage and find deals and see who invested in historical things. So step one for me is very much a research play of, you know, figure out who's in the space, what's going on, you know, starting that, 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 you know, journey. The other side is knowing where you're at and having a real frank conversation with yourself, because if you're pre-revenue, and you're a no-name, you know, no-name founder, meaning you, I wouldn't recognize you if you were on the front cover of the Wall Street Journal. Mm. If you have a few of those things where you know you're not going to stand out from the crowd in that way, you're going to need to bring it. You're going to need to prove value, be thoughtful, and show it all built out in order for the investor to feel comfortable to actually even have the first dialogue. Yeah. yeah when you're providing a pitch, what are some of your effective and compelling ways to, or recommendations usually provide, of how to connect with your audience or your investors, because I think that's a really key part of getting your pitch across is, hey, I want to connect with you in a way that's meaningful, where you're walking away and you're thinking, hey, I, I kind of like that idea. I like, I like what they're, what, where they're going. So the, the way that I think about it is very simple. It's your, one, it's your one sentence pitch, which is your value proposition, which is who you are, who you serve, what you do what the result in and what your differentiator is in the market, right? That's your punchline. That's your base. That's the foundation. That's the insulation. That's kind of everything, right? Because if you get that down, if you know what you provide and you know who you're actually serving and how you're going to monetize and all these different components, all of a sudden a concept of value and reality sets in. It's, you know, the architect handing you the sketch. So a simple example for Argent, right? I call it when after you do the value prop, it's the copycat test in my mind, which is so uh, we are Argent Strategies. We work with early stage founders, typically pre-seed to series A. We help them with their business and financial strategy, be it business plans, financial models, pitching, capital raising, whatever it might be. Uh, we've helped a number of startups raise millions of dollars. And versus the competitors, there's a lot of people that work as interim, you know, CFOs and consultants. For us, we take an incredibly hands-on view and view ourselves more as part-time co-founders than sideline consultants, right? So like quick that. pause there. Nice that's, a, that's a nice little summary. But now the question is, could you steal or look to try and steal my clients from me after that? You could, you could, you could sit down and go, I know what he does. I know the positioning. I know where he sits. That right there, that clarity, there's no doubt of what I do. And that is worth millions of dollars. It sounds so silly, but being mm -hmm. able to clearly explain who you are and where you fit in the ecosystem is one of the greatest ways to build effective relationships, but also just become the embodiment of the value you actually want to provide. Yeah. And man, I just, whoever's listening to this episode right now, Hit, go ahead and hit the, the 30 seconds. Go back to what he said, because there's just so many nuggets of wisdom that, that, that Aaron's dropping. 
that you you all just need to be taking notes this is great stuff i love it i love i love building (laughs) stuff it's the it's the most fun thing to do so you know i i hope this is all helpful and then back to the pitching um and i want to actually go back to you mentioning like series a because i don't know if all our uh, listeners know but what is that like what is series a what is series b what is seed funding Sure. So we'll, we'll kind of go through the, the phases. So yeah. phase one is very much, I break it into three phases. So phase one is kind of your idea stage. It's your, you know, dipping your toe in the water. It could be that you're interviewing customers. It could be that you're ideating. It could be that you're even trying some stuff out, offering a free consultation or offering a little bit of that, you know, just trying to engage with the problem and solution that you're looking to build in one form or fashion. And the way that I look at that is when you look at the investors and where they're coming from, they're investing in you for one of two reasons, because of the business or because of you. And it's a waiting system. So in the very beginning, it's 0% business, 100% you. Because Mm -hmm. why? Because a thousand drunk people on the streets of New York City thought of Uber. And one dude named Travis went, well, what if I just get in my car and start figuring it out? There it is, right? So in the beginning, it's all the entrepreneur. From there, once you have you know, something to show, and again, it depends on every business. If you're building you know, Tesla and you're at seed level, which is you know, the phase two. So phase one is what we call pre-seed or friends and family, very much in the same world where it's the early stage, it's the pre-revenue, it could be pre-product, it could be early idea. It's where you're getting money from either yourself or the people that you know, know and love you um, mm. that, that are gonna support you, right? Or, or you can convince somebody that, you know, you're amazing and that you're deserving of it. Seed area is kind of the middle ground. That's where things start to get a little interesting. That's when you've got a product. You may have some customers or you may have a design. You may have a patent. You may have something to show that things are moving in the right direction. There, it's kind of a 50-50 where it's like, now it's a question not of, are you amazing? And do I believe in you and love you and whatnot? But, but it's, okay, the product seems to kind of be there. I could see that growing and scaling but are you the right person to actually execute on this? If you're building an energy company, are you an energy person? Do I really trust that you're the right person, CEO, CFO, chief head of design, whatever it might mm-hmm. be, that's actually going to see this thing through if I'm going to put 50,000, 100,000, 500,000 yeah. in you. And then beyond that, you get to you know row three or you know series three, which is series A and series B and all everything after that, which is where the big investors typically come in, the venture capitalists, the family offices, a lot of you know these these large institutions that mm. are going to have big restrictions, big claims. They're writing five, ten, twenty million dollar checks, and the goal from there is growth, which is just all product, right? Because at that point, you're making twenty million a year. You can yeah. probably buy a good CEO. So that actually the people become even a little bit less relevant. And then the business, the management, as you said earlier, that's where that kind of comes into play. Wow. I'm sitting here just like, this is, it's all sizzling in my, in my brain. Like, it's good. You're, we're, we're cooking it up right now in my brain. And I'm, I'm like, really, it. how do I, how do I, how can I I'm having it? breakfast for dinner. So this is great. This is a, a warm up, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> For for me, it's it just sounds very deep and philosophical. I know that comes off as cliche, but you really have to get to the root of what are you offering, who are you, what's your brand, right? Because though that's something that seems simple, but if you can get to the root of that, it sounds like that's sort of going to be your launch pad into everything you described. So I think it's tough because if you had a lot of ideas, you really have to boil them down to okay, what what do I really want to do? Who do I want to be? And 
Yeah, that was great. I'm just like, wow, no, I didn't I, think of it yeah. in that way. <laughs> uh, uh, to, to, your, to your point, Richard, it's, it's funny in banking for mergers and acquisitions. So not every you know, purchase is a friendly one, right? Some are hostile. So there's a defense called the crown jewel defense, which is if we take the thing, the IP, the whatever, and we either sell it, destroy it, you know, basically remove the thing that's really making them want us, and we can preserve the rest in one form or fashion, it's a way of, you know, throwing the treasure in the ocean. So the pirates stop conquering the island, right? So it's one of those, if you can do that, that's great. So for me, my whole thought is, okay, what would I throw away, right? What is the base of what I'm all, what's the attraction point that's driving everything? That is what you're going to start with. And that's more than likely what you're going to finish with. Just a question of the complexities around it. Because my business started by me showing up to an event and just bumping into people, reaching for the same soda, going, so what do you do? And the same question came back. And six months later, there's a business emerging. You know, what a miracle. Wow. Awesome. (laughs) Well, Aaron, we're going to move on now to some leadership questions. And I'm going to let Richard take the reins and tell you some exciting questions that I'm sure some of our guest audience want to know. Would you mind describing to the audience a time when you refuse to immediately apply a piece of business advice, but saw value in it later on? So it it was uh, the going, it was partly going above and beyond, but also partly understanding your audience. Because for me, I remember in the very beginning when I was starting my business and really getting into the startup community, especially down here, I was too strict. I was too by the, by the book. I was too focused on the statement of work. And in some businesses that works and it works well because you're executed and you're a lawyer. And if somebody goes one hour over, you're making an extra 400 bucks and yay, it's a dream, right? But in my line of work, it's an intimate relationship, really. It's like there are people that have said wonderful things to me, like, hey, my business wouldn't exist without you, right? And it's like, that's a great thing to hear, but it's also one of those things, it wasn't because I followed line by line on the statement of work. It's because I felt like I was you know, being fairly compensated and then I was doing everything I could, regardless if it was on the paper or off the paper, to bring value. And for me in the beginning, I didn't listen to myself and I paid the price. I lost the client. I didn't deliver as much value as I could have. I was left with regret, right, of wanting to do it better. And since then, I've made the full transition. And really, it's just a question of, is it a fair deal, right? If you're paying me for, you know, 10 to 20 hours a month and I'm doing 60, you and I both know it's not a fair deal. We have to make some adjustments. But if I can bring value and I can do everything that I can, and it's all within the bounds of, you know, the partnership that we want to form then game on, let's dig in, let's grow. And taking that mindset, again, the give, the, the, the surplus, the abundance mindset of, I've got the hours, I've got the time. And then all of a sudden the time emerges and all of a sudden the rewards emerge. And you know, it's, it's crazy how, uh, how back to basic it all can sometimes really be. Yeah, exactly. And another question I had was, what is one underrated trait or characteristic that makes someone a great or effective leader? being more curious in others than they are in themselves. It's one of the least interest. And I network with so many people. I mean, I, I checked my Calendly and my Calendly is maybe a third, maybe a quarter of what I do. And in the last six to nine months, I think I've had over like 230 meetings, 240 meetings, like you know, just on that one Calendly as well. There's like six <laughs> other ones. So it's like, I talked to so many people and the most boring conversations are the one where I say, Hey, so what do you do? And the next 30 minutes are just about them and what they do. And you know what that doesn't, even if they're amazing, that doesn't inspire me to open my network. 
That doesn't mean that doesn't feel like a true partnership. It feels like somebody's either bragging or they don't don't notice yeah. that they're on the phone with somebody or they're not engaged. There's no mm. mutual dialogue. It's one of those. I forget what who it was, but there's an, an old you know leader back in the day. I forget, and the, his whole thing was I talk last. Because if I talk first, then everybody's going to be either intimidated or influenced, or I don't know something and I come off ignorant, whatever it is, I'm going to listen and learn and talk last. And for me, kind of the act of talking last is simply trying to get other people to talk first and seeing what are they interested in? You know, people want to talk about themselves and I like it when people have a smile on their face. So if you're talking about something and I genuinely find it interesting, I'm going to lean into that a hundredfold more than my thing, because guess what? When I haven't lent, lent into my thing and gone, oh, sales and marketing and got to close with us and all that stuff, all of a sudden I get a, so wait, tell me about what you do. Like, please, I'd love to learn. And all of a sudden, you know what I mean? It's not that I was fishing for that, but it's more of a, no, no, no. I just genuinely tried to form a relationship. It's like just pouring water on a seed. And it's like, yeah, this is what happens afterwards that mm -hmm. we're reciprocal. We want to engage. We want to feel yeah. like, you know, there's an exchange there. And I think I like what you said there. And I want to actually even add to what you were saying with a question. What do you think? What do you think about this? I remember hearing this from a great mentor of mine that you maybe remember Abel sure. um, that used to be a part of Be Leader, but also another mentor. And, and I took both their advice and I put it together whenever I networked. Because when you go to a networking event, sometimes you get a uh, someone that's like a hot shot trying to just talk business, but it's not even about that. You know what I'm saying? It's like in a, in a tight suit with too much attitude. I'm right. It's the last thing every entrepreneur or like made it that has made it entrepreneur person wants. Sometimes they just want to just relax and talk about the game or something different, right? Something they can relate to. Well, I remember I got a little bit of that from one and I got something else from another that was really impactful that we're able to marry each other, which was like one, th when you go to networking events, it's not about like always, it doesn't even matter what you said. It doesn't even matter if you were first or last. It's just how'd you made them feel. How did you make them feel at the end of it? Because they'll remember that that emotion, it would just it just attached to it. That relates to motivation. Like when they're motivated, they felt something. And that was something that totally I carried agree. on. So what do, what do you think about that? Like I, I totally agree. I think that it's uh, an old saying that I, I heard and I really liked is nothing is interesting. People are interested, right? If you don't care about chess, meeting a grandmaster doesn't mean anything to you. But if you really <laughs> care about chess, meeting a low ranking person that, you know, has an 1800, uh, you know, score or 1900 rating. It's like, that's not the best in the world, but you'd be like, Oh my God, they're the best in the world. Right. <laughs> it's like, and that little distinction is, you know, really important because that's how someone feels. Right. The, the other thing that I always keep in mind for me, or I do my best to is I'm a person first, and I own a business second, right? So for me, it's like, if I meet somebody in an event, I am not in pitch mode and to sell them because that's not why I'm there. I'm there to network and engage and have fun and be a part right, of the community right. and support. And I know that results will follow, but I also have leads and conversations and you know, you build your momentum and feel more secure in it. So you're able to just go and engage. So when people ask me about myself, I talk to them and I tell them and I introduce myself and then I focus on them and I focus on talking there. And more often than not, they're pulling the information out of me of what do you do and how do you do this? Because if you just walk up and say, hey, I'm a consultant, they go, oh God, I'm going to get sold in like 10 seconds and the shoot's going to be all over me. And it's like, that is the furthest from the case. I wow. want to get a Diet Coke and then we can talk about whatever's going on in the startup scene and have a blast. And if there's a chance to go from there, great. If not, we had fun, I enjoyed a drink and you know, life's good. Mm.
Yeah. So to all our listeners, you are a person first. You are not your business. You are not that particular identity. I think it's important to keep that in mind because, yeah, you can say you're a consultant, but what's the context? Who are you? Where, how did you get to that point? I think that's what people are going to be more interested in rather than, oh, I'm always on. I'm always giving my pitch. So I'm but Richard, said but that. Richard, I, business is me. It's I, I, I'm the business. What are you talking about? No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, some people can and, be and, like and that. It's, it's funny and it's, it's a joke, but when, when we're talking to founders, one of the, you know, cautionary tales that I give is there's, you know, two extremes in the, in the world of founders. There's the, the founders that are like, I'm building this startup. It looks like this, it does this and I'm doing any, and I will not change a thing. And we've all talked to them. Right. And mm-hmm. they don't need anything but a hard head and you know some red bull and they're going to just do their thing rightly or wrongly there's the other founder though that's the pure you know greed is good guy right who's just whatever i can sell i'm going to pivot 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 i'll go from selling shoes one day to to flip-flops the next to lamps to sass and they just go all over they've got no focus nobody knows what to make of them and they become vague people in the community. And that becomes, you know, a little bit, of, I don't really know what they do. And there are people that I know that, you know, fall in that category and they just, it's an unknown little energy. I try to advocate for really the founder in the middle, which is I know where I want to be, but I'm willing to compromise and understand that I might not be right about how I'm going to get there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just try and get there as best and safely and fun and fueled and all that good stuff that I can and let the rest, you know, go as it goes. That's a great piece of advice, Aaron. And I wanted to just give one more segment. We're going to do one more for the podcast. I like to call it nuggets of knowledge. We already have a few of them from today's conversation, but let's just complete that pack of nuggets. So what piece of advice would you give to some college graduates or a young aspiring entrepreneur? Uh, I forget the, the, the woman that said it. She's one of the co-founders of, of Southwest, I believe. And it's, quote, we have a strategic plan. It's called doing things. <laughs> and I love that. I love that because a startup is action. If it's nothing else, it's action. It's getting out there, making the call, making the connection, closing the deal, doing the research, whatever it might be. So for college students, it's one of those, you have a a wonderfully valid identity to go and engage anybody in the world. And if you're, you know, at any school that can, you know, take a break here and there, you have the resources and time to do so. So determining if entrepreneurship's for you, trying out a business, shadowing somebody, interviewing a lawyer that works with startups all the time and seeing if they can introduce you. It's one of those, I've met so many people that, and this conversation has really happened of like, oh, I want to meet that person. They go, well, what are you going to ask them? And I go, well, I don't know. I haven't met them yet. And they go, I don't really know about if I'm going to introduce you then. And I'm like, how how do you imagine this, this world works that I'm going to predict the future, right? And then have this dialogue. It's like by being open and just engaging in that, all of a sudden you can do just do so much more. Yeah, and I think most of the time you just need a good template. You don't need to know everything that you're going to put in that template. Like you said, you have to be open and ready to listen and then oh, respond 100%. based on that. <laughs> my, my, my favorite thing is when entrepreneurs go, oh, I'm just worried I'm going to screw it up. And I go, you will. There you the go. World, now, 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 now you don't have to worry. Now you don't have to worry. You, you absolutely will. So what's next? What's our next plan? And it just, you know, breaks it a bit. Thank you for uh, this advisor or this uh, counselor for, for entrepreneurs for coming today. Of course. Um, really, honestly, Aaron, thank you for coming. All the stuff you said was amazing. Um, last thing I just want to say is to tell our listeners how they can reach out to you if they're needing support. 
support. Maybe if they want to get, um, if there's someone that's aspiring, trying to be an entrepreneur, how they could reach out to you, get some tips, or maybe a business that's wanting to take it to the next level. How can they reach out to you? Sure. So you can feel free to reach us online. Our website's pretty easy, argentstrategies.com. My email's Aaron at Argent, A-R-G-E-N-T, strategies.com. We're on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. We're a little bit of everywhere and, you know, do what we can to be, make ourselves available. So reach out, engage, ask questions. If I can help, then I will. Thank you so much for that, Aaron. And for those tuning in, make sure to follow and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms, including our socials at Go Entrepreneur Yourself.